Welcome to the Hilltop United Methodist Church podcast. Hilltop is located in Sandy, Utah, 985 East, 10,600 South. Locals would say 106th. Our two worship services are at 9 o'clock and 10.30. Hope to see you this Sunday. God bless. Bye-bye. I'm going to start a little bit with Pilate, not because I want to overly focus on Pilate, but mainly just I want to make sure we have some idea of who Pilate was. Um, Pilate was a historical figure. Uh, there's archaeological evidence to support the, his existence uh, that he lived. Uh, there's also non-biblical accounts that reports um, him, his, his role. Um, Judea was a sub-area, uh, sub-province, if you will, of the greater province of Syria. And um, so he, he had the title prefect. Uh, later, later on, some of the people that had his gig uh, were called, uh, pro, uh, had a different title, which had implied a higher level of authority, but uh, Pilate himself did not have that. Um, Pilate did not have as extensive uh, military forces available to him. Uh, the legions that would have existed would, would have been more under the power of the governor of Syria itself. So he did have some military forces, but you and I would think of them as National Guard, Army Reserve, something like that, where they were recruited locally, probably didn't have the training that a Roman legion might have had out of Rome. Um, his headquarters was not in Jerusalem. His headquarters was in an area called Caesarea. Sometimes you hear it called Caesarea Maritima. And so it was a relatively new port over on the Mediterranean. And uh, that's where uh, Herod had, had a port there, uh, right there at the same place. It had been built in the last 50 years. Uh, and it was where his primary, primary ministry of headquarters was. What brought him to Jerusalem in this passage here was the High Holy Days. <clears throat> there, was significant, there would be significant concern on the part of Roman governors, Roman leaders, that if there was going to be any trouble in Judea, it was going to occur during these high holy days. And the high holy days that is going on in this particular passage is the Passover, is what's happening. Um, Pilate is sometimes portrayed in the gospel as a relatively benign neutral uh, creature, man. What we have from the non-biblical accounts would suggest that that's not, probably not accurate, uh, probably quite ruthless, uh, quite uh, dictatorial, uh, my way or the highway kind of leadership. Uh, somewhere along the line, uh, Pilate got cross purposes with Caligula. That was not hard to do. Uh, it was quite easy to do. And so he was either directed to commit suicide or he committed suicide uh, on his own. The passage here, for some reason, doesn't include the last part. The, the, reading, the reading we're going to show you is the official reading for the day. And Dennis Shaw and many other people add another half of a verse after that. I think it, I think it matters quite a bit. So on page 113, uh, John, the Gospel of John, and I'm in chapter 18. I'm going to start at verse 33. <clears throat> then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. 
If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Little aside here. Now the next thing here is Pilate thinks that Jesus has almost given him some relief. He's going to say, um, I am a king, so therefore he's, he's guilty of sedition and Pilate can have him executed. And Jesus doesn't give him that, that pleasure. Pilate asks, so you are a king. Uh, Jesus answered, you say that I am a king, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And in the portion that's not projected, but is still part of the overall passage, Pilate asked him, what is truth? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, God. Pilate was a postmodernist before it was cool to be a postmodernist. We've lived in this period called postmodernity. Probably began about 1950, 1955, somewhere around there. And one of the tenets of postmodernity is everything's relative. Everything's relative. You've heard that statement before. Everything's relative. <clears throat> From the non-biblical writings we have of Pilate, we know that he was a student of philosophy. And maybe what he was exercising here in this observation, what is truth, was a sort of a philosophical statement. It's truth is purely relative. How do you know what the truth is? And we live in an era which would suggest to us, we live in a time which would suggest to us that truth is considered by many around us to be purely relative, an arbitrary element. It, it's not necessarily something we can all agree on. We can just agree to disagree. You've heard those kinds of observations, surely. <clears throat> we, we come in today, we come in today to stop and reflect at this end of the church year. This is the last Sunday of the church year. The ball at Times Square is coming down. It's coming down and coming down and coming down. And when we leave church today, you guys are going to spring confetti and go, Happy New Year! And it's going to be all these things about the end of the church year. And on this last day of the church year, we stop and we ask ourselves the question, Who is Jesus for us today. Who is Jesus for us today? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little uncomfortable with this Jesus guy because he really doesn't want me to pick a few off of column A and a few off of column B and a few off of column C Rather, he wants me to pick them all. He wants me to pick everything that he offers off column A, everything he offers off column B, everything that he offers off column C. He's not everything is relative kind of guy. He wants us to understand that he represents the truth of the nature of what it is to be in relationship with God. You hear it throughout the Gospels, but here in this particular Gospel of John, it's made paramount. 
There's a couple of references to the truth in Matthew. There's a couple of references to the truth in uh, Mark. There's a couple of three references to the truth in Luke. But almost every chapter of the Gospel of John permeates with this idea of the idea of the truth, following the truth. The truth is Jesus. Starts in the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word is Jesus. That Word is the truth. That is what it is that we are called to do, read, look forward to, use as our model, and to be subjects to. Christ the King Sunday was established by the Catholic Church in 1925 because of creeping secularism. We don't have that anymore, do we? It's all gone. They've, it, the, the, the treatment of the Sunday has been successful. We have no more secularism. You, you laugh because I think it is indeed funny. We're getting more and more secular. They were also concerned in their own way in the Catholic Church about the creeping nationalism of the, of the nationalists in Italy that would maybe take some of the land away from the Vatican a little bit. So that may be, their, their, their concern about nationalism may not be exactly our same concern about nationalism, but it does relate as to who our king is. And I acknowledge that many of us as Americans are here in this place because somewhere in our genealogical history, somebody probably left England or France or Germany or Poland, or something like that, but to get away from kings. Many people were here not to have kings. George Washington could have been king of the United States if he'd have wanted to. They just, the people in Europe, the powers in Europe, could not believe that George Washington would cheerfully relinquish the authority as President of the United States with nobody forcing him to give it up. He just gave it up on his own. The, the concept, did, they could not wrap their mind around that concept. So we, we, we sometimes back into this idea of Christ the King Sunday. Um, I, I, I made a comment at the 9 o'clock service. I might have been a little harsh, but sometimes you hear people refer to this as the reign of Christ Sunday. Uh, so I, I hear that sometimes. My first reaction is, is this going to be wet that day? It's going to be wet that day? No, it's, it refers to the reign of Christ, R-E-I-G-N, of how it is that God does indeed break in this kingdom. It's how it is that we are expected to live in the kingdom of God, and there's a difference in our world. I personally like the idea of the kingdom, the king itself, because it, it, it places things in pretty clear context. Kings were expected to bow our knee to. Kings were expected to worship. Kings were expected to obey. And that's part of what we're supposed to do with this king called Jesus. We are supposed to be sub his subjects and respond accordingly. My favorite German theologian, Bonhoeffer, would write in 1939, God revealed in the flesh, the God-man Jesus Christ is the holy mystery which theology is appointed to guard. What a mistake to think that it is the task of theology to unravel God's mystery, to bring it down to the flat, ordinary human wisdom of experience and reason. It is the task 
of theology to preserve God's wonder as wonder, to understand, to defend, to glorify God's mystery as mystery. I like that. I like that idea quite a bit. And, and, and flows from that idea is the fact that we can indeed worship, we can indeed serve this Christ as king. We are indeed his subjects. Now, I don't know how you yourself are being called to serve Jesus and the world. I'm going to try to use myself in three good examples of bad behavior and see if I can successfully do that because each time that I think I try to do it, I got it a little wrong, I think. But in 1991, I was I had turned down a position that if I had successfully done that job, I would have been a colonel. And that defined my life. I was going to be a colonel in the United States Army if I did a good job on this job at Bad Kreuznach. I was going to go potentially be the G1 at the, uh, at the 8th Infantry Division. I turned it down. Almost immediately as turning that down, I began to feel this quiet urge, this, this relentless pursuit of me by God. Now, I, I acknowledge that when people prior to 1991 said to, the, said to me that God spoke to them, I, I, I sort of dismissed them as a little kooky, all right? I, I, I was wrong. <laughs> God does speak to us, and God does indeed make God manifest. So I began to have this quiet little urging of what I wanted you to do post-army, and I want you to, I, I, God, want you to serve me by going to be in, in ministry for me. Now, here, here's, the, here's my bad example. I, I, did not, I did not on this bring Marilyn into the loop real quickly. Why? I was convinced that she would say something like, you've been away from God for 30 years. What makes you think you can serve God in this kind of way now? That would have been a pretty good answer for me, and I think I would have decided to go off and go do something else and make more money. That wasn't quite what happened. I sucked up my courage one day and said, Marilyn, I'm, I really feel we get back to Washington. I want to go to graduate school and go into ministry uh, in, the, in the Methodist church. And I figured she was going to go, are you nuts? Have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? And said, she, she, thought, she looked at me and she said, I could support you on that. While I was in school, I felt like I really needed to deepen, deepen my knowledge, and so I used the school to make up the not, lack of knowledge that I had. I was about 30 years behind because I had not studied for 30 years. John, John Davidson over here is 15 years older than me, and plus he's got 30 years more, more, more education on that. I, there's no way I'm ever catching John. Is there any way I'm ever going to catch John in knowledge? No, absolutely not. But I, I went back to school so I could at least get to a baseline level and be competent at what I was doing, even if I couldn't be superior. The second thing that I did there was is that um, I was going to enter into ministry and go be a teacher. 
I, wanted to, I was going to have a category of ordination that would cause me to be a Sunday school teacher, a coordinator of Sunday school, an ed, a Monday school, Wednesday school, but an education-oriented kind of person. That's where I was going to go. Because I just knew, I just knew there was no way who if somebody had been away from God for 30 years could get up on a Sunday morning and preach and be credible. And God for a while let me think that. Let me think that because it probably would have messed up God's plans a little bit for me. But as I got deeper and deeper and deeper at it, I began to realize that the time that I had spent in the military actually prepared me very well for what I could potentially do on a Sunday morning. I could prepared me very well to do this on Sunday morning. And so I decided I was going to do that. So here's number one, I had to deepen my knowledge. Number two, I had to be willing to see myself in a role different than I saw myself. That makes sense so far? Now the third one was is that somehow, somehow I had gotten myself umbilically attached to Colorado Springs. I don't have any idea how it happened. But I just loved it there, it was fantastic, and I didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize me, staying, me not staying in Colorado Springs the rest of my life. And at some point in time, God chuckled and said, I've got a plan for you, I've got, I've got something I want you to go do, and it's going to be in Utah. Now, if you think Utah is easy to sell people on when they're on the front range, I need to talk to you, okay? It's not. I need to deepen my knowledge. I was God's subject. I need to be prepared to be in ministry on behalf of Jesus in a way inconsistent with how I thought I was going to do that. And number three, I need to be prepared to move at God's call. What, what might God be saying to you? What might be God saying to you as to how it is that you need to perhaps deepen your knowledge? What it is that God may be saying to you to get outside your comfort zone and do something that you didn't think you could do, but you might actually do quite well. Or maybe, God forbid, God is calling you to come to Utah. Oh, you're already here. <laughs> you're already here. So that's the question for us on this Christ the King Sunday. We can operate like Pilate. We can operate like Pilate and be, operate off of this idea of everything's relative. We can operate like Pilate somewhat out of fear. Pilate had a less than professional force, didn't have high numbers. He's probably somewhat operating from fear. What was the fear he was operating from? The fear I was operating from was lack of knowledge. The fear I was operating fear I was operating from was an inability to decide what I was going to do, what I was going to do. And number three, I was, going to oper I was operating off of a fear of I couldn't decide where I was going to do it. What are your fears? What is it that stops you from serving God in some kind of way? What is it that, that, that is your answer to the question of who is Jesus for you today? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, makes the point that we should not ever say Jesus is simply a moral teacher. Most of us believe that the message of Jesus is important to us today because it comes to us from God, through God, is God. There were significant philosophers in Jesus' day that were probably better speakers, had a more well-crafted theology, but they don't 
that we don't know who they are today. Why? It's Jesus' very divinity that makes his message powerful to us. It's part of what makes him Christ the King. So I come back to the question for you, how is it that the king is calling you as his subject to come and serve? What is it that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Jesus as king, is calling on you and asking you to do and saying, I want you to move out of your comfort zone? What is it that God is saying to you about where you need to go? Back to Lewis, he makes the comment that we do not want to teach We do not want to see Jesus as a moral teacher. Either Jesus is exactly who he says he was, the Son of God, and we need to follow him as king, or he was a lunatic. If he's a lunatic, he deserves no followers. If he's who he says he was, he deserves our being willing to be his subjects in all that we do. Not a little off column A, not a little off column B, Now, a little off column C, but all of us, God wants us to be all in, all in in all that we do. Come back to Brother Pilate. Brother Pilate can be the voice of the world, the voice of the world speaking in cynicism, the voice of the world speaking in fear. Who is Jesus? Who do you say you are? Who, who is Jesus for you today? You can be like Pilate and be a cynic and question and question and question, or, or you can respond like many of those early disciples did and be able to change the world. The choice is yours. In a moment, we're going to sing number 188, Christ is the world's light. It's this invitation for us to see the light that is Jesus in the world and focus ourselves on that light and serve this Jesus in all that we are and all that we do. Please stand. Hilltop is located in Sandy, Utah, 985 East, 10,600 South. Locals would say 106th. Our two worship services are at 9 o'clock and 10.30. Hope to see you this Sunday. God bless. Bye-bye.